Amen. You may be seated.
think this song here is a little bit appropriate for Father's Day. And uh, we'll try to I wasn't planning on doing this this morning, so it's a spur of the moment thing. But I think it's a good one, though, because fathers, you are uh, you are the inspiration for your children, but you're also the inspiration for others, too. As a father, we have to watch what we say and do everywhere we go. And I'm a lot of you already heard this before, but the name of the only Bible. I think I hope you'll enjoy it, and I hope you'll get the uh, message out of it. <coughs> message is especially for you. On my flight from Pennsylvania this past Tuesday, I started reading a book uh, that I picked up while on vacation by Pastor Byron Yawn. How's that for a pastor's name? Pastor Yawn. 
But anyway, the book was entitled, What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him. And in one part of the book, Pastor Yon shares what he calls man laws. In fact, he had 40 man laws in his book. And we don't have time to share all of them today, but I want to share a few with you. Okay, so men, listen up. Here are some man laws. First, you may never refer to your clothes as an outfit. So you can have a shirt, you can have breeches, but you can't have an outfit. You may never use another man's lip balm. The only exceptions are being lost in a desert, caught in a blizzard, or trapped in an avalanche. Each scenario still requires you to trim off the top layer with a pocket knife, and you must apply it with the same pocket knife. Celine Dion, Kenny G, and Josh Groban cannot be discovered on your iPod. You must be able to locate at all times the duct tape in your house when asked. The next one says, there is no such thing as capris for men. (laughs) And all God's men said, amen. I'd add skinny jeans to that too, anyway. You may never brag about the features in your wife's minivan. You can make no more than one adjustment when parallel parking. If you need more, circle the block. The next one says, if you have a cat... You cannot have feelings for it. I could think of one feeling you could have, but anyway. You can never be a passenger on a motorcycle with another man. Walk no matter how far the destination is. Two more. He says, Joe Montana is the best quarterback of all time. And the final one was, you must argue about whether or not Joe Montana was the best quarterback of all time. Now, obviously, those are some man laws that are given, that bring a smile to her face. They're not to be taken too seriously. They're given in jest. But let's ask the question this morning, men. Uh, What is it that makes a real man? What is it that makes a real man? Beloved, I'd like to submit to you this morning that the picture of manhood is not Rambo. And it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's not even that uh, muscular man on my favorite Planet Fitness commercial who constantly says, I lift things up and put them down before they show him out the door. That's not the true picture of manhood or masculinity. No, the real man, the true picture of masculinity and manhood is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know what a man should be, Look no further than the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ exemplified what we're going to talk about today in our time together. He lived out the verse that we're going to concentrate on. And the verse is found in the Old Testament book of Micah. A little book of Micah. And if you're not real familiar with Micah, you'll find it near the end of your uh, Old Testament. Uh, Micah, and you'll go ahead and find it if you would please, Micah chapter 6. And while you're finding it, let me give you a little background about the man Micah and the book of Micah. And uh, Wiersbe sums it up better than I can and quicker than I can. He says that Micah was a contemporary of uh, Isaiah and Hosea. So Micah and Isaiah and Hosea are all ministering around the same time. And, and Micah prophesied concerning both Judah and Israel, the Samaria. And in the book of Micah, he gives three messages. Each is introduced with a call to hear. In chapters 1 and 2, he declares coming judgment. 
In chapters 3 through 5, he talks about the future kingdom. And in chapters 6 and 7, which we're going to look at part of chapter 6 today, he gives God's invitation to the people to turn to the Lord. And Micah hoped that the people of Judah would learn from the sad experience of Israel, but they did not. And his is a message, Micah's message is a message of judgment, but it's mingled with mercy and hope. Now, beginning in chapter 6, verse 6, we find that Micah asked on behalf of the people a rhetorical question. He asked a question concerning, basically, what is it that God wants? What is it that God desires? Now, look at Micah chapter 6. I hope you found it by now. Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, where it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands rivers of oil? Notice the next part. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so these questions are asked on behalf of the people. And then we come to our verse for today. Verse 8. And in verse 8, Micah answers the question by saying, Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now notice, beloved, what he tells them is not new. It's not the first time it's been talked about. He begins verse 8 by saying, He has shown you, O man. He's shown you about this. Listen to Genesis 18, 19. Uh, God saying about Abraham, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go in to possess. It's not the first time they've heard the idea of uh, doing justly and, and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. Now remember, he's ministering, Micah is at the same time as Isaiah and Hosea. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 1, verse 17 of Isaiah. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Hosea says this in Hosea 12, 6. So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on God continually. We see this theme over and over again. Man, do you want to know what it is that God wants from you? Well, here it is in a nutshell. Three simple things. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, by the way, ladies, in case you're feeling left out this morning, I don't want that to be the case. Where it says in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. Uh, that has the idea there of uh, mankind or humanity. And so what he's talking about here is applicable to you as well. But we're kind of gearing the message to the men today. But the, the truths are for you as well. Three things mentioned here. It makes a perfect sermon outline. 
I can't improve upon it, so I won't even try. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And I want to look at them one by one today. First of all, it says that we're to do justly. Now, what does it mean to do justly? It means to do right. To do right. But then the question comes, well, who determines what is right? I mean, isn't right relative? Isn't right a personal thing? You know, there are those in our world that think so. There are those today who believe that there are no moral absolutes. There are, there's nothing that's truly right or wrong. That right, whatever right is, is left up to the individual. It's left up to the circumstances. And so it's all based upon whatever's going on and whatever that person decides is right for him or her. Take, for instance, something that John Curson shared about a UCLA professor uh, who was teaching uh, a, a medical ethics class. By the way, if you want to really get some deep thinking and deep stuff, take some ethics classes. I remember as I was working on my master's degree, I had to take some ethics classes and getting into medical issues that we face. But this, this professor, he posed the question to his medical ethics class. He said, how would you advise the following patient concerning pregnancy and the possibility of abortion? Here's the case. The father has syphilis. The mother has tuberculosis. The first child was born blind. Their second child died at birth. The third child was born deaf. The fourth child contracted tuberculosis. And now the mother is pregnant again. And he asked his students, how would you advise this patient? Should she go on and have the child? Or should she abort the child? Should she kill the child? Beloved, 70% of the students in that class said that she should abort that child. She should kill that child. The professor looked at his class and here's what he said. He said, congratulations, you just aborted Beethoven. Because that was his family's history. See, beloved, right is not based upon what we think. And right is not based upon circumstances. God is the one that tells us what is right. And God doesn't call us to make up what is right. And God doesn't tell us to come up with what is right. He tells us what is right in His Word. In fact, Psalm 19, verses 7-11 to says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In fact, they're so valuable. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them... Your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. God wants us to do what is right. What He says is right. And men, that's the case whether it's convenient or not. That's the case whether everybody else is not doing right. God says to us, I want you to do right. Now men, the world is not going to encourage us to be men of integrity. And men who are known for doing what is right. What does the world do? It encourages us to get ahead no matter the cost. Get ahead no matter whom we have to step on on our way. But God says what? God says, I want you to do right. I want you to do justly. And we see that modeled in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who always did right. 
Do justly. But there's a second thing. What is it? Love mercy. Love mercy. Now, whenever God tells us to love something, we should kind of sit up and take notice, don't you think? He says here He wants us to love mercy. Now, obviously, if we're going to love mercy, we're going to live it out in our lives. We're to show love and mercy, that is kindness, to other people. We see it displayed over and over again in the life of our Lord Jesus, don't we? A life of mercy. A life of kindness to others. Now let's be honest about it. This idea of uh, loving mercy and showing mercy and extending mercy, that's not the norm for our life, is it, in our society? I understand a skinny guy was at a truck stop counter. And he was eating his breakfast when suddenly three big biker dudes came bursting through the door. You know, these big guys with black leather and chains and the whole nine yards. And these three biker dudes wanted to provoke a fight. And so they grabbed the skinny guy's plate of breakfast. They scarfed the rest of his food down. And the skinny guy's there and he just sat there and watched them. When they were done eating his breakfast, he calmly paid the bill and he walked out the door. Well, one of the biker dudes said to the waitress, said, can you believe that wimp? Not much of a man, is he? Maybe not, she said, as she was looking out the window. But he's not much of a driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles. (laughs) That's the norm, isn't it? Vengeance and getting back and payback. But God says, what? He says, I want you to love mercy. I want you to treat others with kindness. I'll be honest with you. I was recently convicted about this. It was brought to my attention that I don't always love and live mercy. I'm not always kind as I ought to be. I, I struggle with this at times. And God convicted me of it and I had to repent of it and confess it. God's very clear. He says, I want you to love mercy. I want you to be kind to other people. We're to do justly, do right. We're to love mercy, kindness. But there's a third thing, and that's this. Walk humbly. Now, there's a message, men, that we need to hear today. It's, I think, this one. To walk humbly. At times, we're so proud. At times, we're so boastful. We're arrogant. We strut around pretending to have it all together. We forget the verse in James chapter 4 and verse 6 that says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not about you, but I don't want to be uh, having God resist me in my pride. I want his grace. And I want his grace operating and flowing through my life uh, day in and day out. Now hear me if you hear nothing else. When it says walk humbly there, don't miss the last part of the verse because the last part of the verse is the key to the whole verse. It says there we're to walk humbly with our God. Now in order for us to walk humbly with our God, He must first of all be our God. Did you catch that? In order to walk with Him as our God, we must first have Him as our God. And He can only be our God if we come to Him in the only way possible. And that's through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is very clear in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Beloved, you must be saved. In order to walk humbly with your God, you must know Him as your God. And don't misunderstand this passage, Micah 6, 8. Because some will come to Micah 6, 8 and they'll say, okay, here's a, a verse of Scripture 
And this verse is telling me uh, the, the way to be right with God. In other words, what they'll say is, well, here's what it's saying. If I do right, and I treat other people right, then I'll be right with God. Wrong. Wrong. That's not what this verse is saying. Why? Because apart from the cross, apart from the gospel, apart from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can never do justly. We can never love mercy. And we certainly can never walk with our God. We can't do this on our own. This passage in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, believe me, it is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. What it is, is it's what a life looks like after one has met the Lord Jesus Christ and is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through that person's life. See, we're lost, we're dead, we're undone, we're condemned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good, not one. But Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. Laid His life down on that cross, shed His precious blood, was buried, rose again victorious, that we might have life. And if we repent of our sin, turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And then we can live out what this verse says as God works in us and through us. Because as old J. Vernon McGee said, what we really have here is the fruit of the Spirit. It says what? I want you to do justly. I want you to do right. I want you to love mercy. I want you to treat others with kindness. I want you to walk humbly with your God. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. You see, beloved, the key to all of this is walking humbly with your God. As you spend time with God, you become more like Him. And your actions. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is God alone. And when you recognize that it sure helps to help you to walk humbly, doesn't it? To realize that He is God and God alone. Is this not a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved? He was always about His Father's business. Always walking with the Father. Always submitting to the Father. Always doing right, extending mercy and grace. Walk humbly with your God. So I thought about this idea of walking humbly. For some reason, I thought about something that Steve Green, who is a gospel singer, one of my favorites. Steve Green wrote on his Facebook wall uh, back in April. Actually, April the 17th. Here's what he wrote. George Beverly Shea passed away yesterday at age 104. During my years as a guest for the Billy Graham Crusades, I was greatly impressed with Bev's humility, seen in his self-forgetfulness and other-centeredness. One of the highlights of my life was singing a duet with him at a praise-gathering event in Indianapolis. He will be missed. Most of you know who George Beverly Shea is. Maybe some of the younger ones don't know who I'm talking about. But maybe you've watched a Billy Graham crusade on television. They're throwing them again now. They're calling them the Billy Graham classics. And I, I DVR them and, and will catch part of one once in a while. And I went and actually watched part of two of them last night. You know, George Beverly Shea, he gets up and he sings. If you'll watch, after he sings, he quietly moves aside 
so that Billy Graham can come and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. George Beverly Shea was a man who recorded more than 60 albums. He's in the Gospel Music Association's Hall of Fame. In 2010, he won the Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award. His name was a household name, not only in America, but literally around the world, as he sang before millions of people, a voice, one in a million for sure. But George Beverly Shea, with all those accolades and all those awards and all those honors and all that recognition, was a man of humility. In fact, I read in an interview that he did, um, I found it in a CD that I have. I'm a strange bird, by the way. Yeah, I have George Beverly Shea's CD. I bought it on the same day, at the same time I bought a Carrie Job CD, who is a modern worship leader. I'm, I'm a strange bird, I guess, huh? I, I'm one born out of due time, I think, at times. I, I get, I get um, mailings from the Cove, and I'll, I'll see an event they're having. I think, man, that looks really great. Look who's singing, and look who's preaching. And it'll say, of special interest to those 55 and older. <laughs> And I love eating a Cracker Barrel when I'm traveling now, so I'm not sure <laughs> what that means. But in an interview that Bev did, and I think it was later in his life, the, the album was 2012, they interviewed George Beverly Shea, and here's what he said in part of the interview. My job was kind of unique in that Mr. Graham liked to have a quiet song before he spoke. That's a privilege to be able to sing before somebody like Mr. Graham speaks. We smile together about this because Mr. Graham has about 12 or so old favorites. If I brought in a new one, he'd say, oh, I like the old favorites. So the only time I got to do something modern was when I was with Kirk Kaiser in concert. The interviewer asked him if he'd ever been tempted to go solo. And here's what George Beverly Shea said. Go solo? Oh, my goodness. I'd never get five miles. Of course, between crusades, I did some concert with pianist Kirk Kaiser. I'll never die wealthy, but I'll die happy. Listen to what he says. I've been so happy being with Mr. Graham. And the interview was all about, every time he turned around, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham. Obviously, George Beverly Shea learned to walk humbly with his God. Beloved, we make things so complicated, don't we? We're, We're experts at complicating matters. The Lord comes in this morning through His Word and He simplifies things for His men. God says, here's what I want from you. Here's what I want from you, my child. As I enable enable you, as I help you, as I work through you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do justly. I want you to do right. And And I want you to love mercy. I want you to treat others with kindness. And I want you to walk humbly with me. I love that picture of walking humbly. With God. You you know, I I love it because what what does walking remind you of? Well, to me, walking reminds me of the fact that it takes time. It takes time to walk. You can get places a lot quicker driving, can't you? I had that debate this morning for myself. I usually walk to church. I thought, should I walk to church or drive to church this morning? I drove today. But anyway, uh, (laughs) walking takes time. And God says, I want you to walk humbly with me. And that's what we need. Today in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, to walk humbly with our God. And as we do, we'll learn and do more things right. And we'll love mercy. 
And we'll honor and glorify Him. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Father, it is with gratefulness that we bow in your presence today. And I thank you for these many men that are here. I thank you for the ladies and young people and all that are here. But Lord, today we've directed our thoughts toward men. And Father, you've simplified things for us today. We know it starts with the gospel. Father, I pray if any man here, anyone here, does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would convict them and bring them to saving knowledge during this invitation. And then, Father, for those who do and who are your children, I pray that you would allow us, or help us to allow you, rather, to work in and through our lives that we'll be men who do right, who love mercy and kindness, and who walk humbly with you. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 504 is our closing hymn, God Give Us Christian Homes. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we sing, here's what I'm asking you to simply step out where you are. Come, say, Preacher, I'd like to know Jesus as my Savior. I'll just simply take you and place you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. They'll sit down with the Bible and share the gospel with you and lead you to Christ. Very simple. You just step out today and come and we'll put you with someone who will share the gospel. Men, I've been preaching to you. Those who know the gospel, those who know Christ, maybe God's spoken to your heart today. Maybe you'd like to pray about one of these matters, about doing justly or loving mercy or walking humbly. Or God's dealing with you. If you come today, maybe you want to commit yourself afresh and anew and say, God, here I am. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly grandpa. Whatever it may be, you just let the Lord lead you and you come to the altar today and you do business with God. 504, let's stand and sing, God give us Christian homes.